Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch Podcast. I am Joe, and with me today is... Jamie. Jack. And Dita. That's right, and we're here talking about Mistborn, the Hero of Ages. This week we read chapters 62, 63, 64, 65, and 66. In these chapters, Says loses all hope, and then um, it's not until a Chandra buddy of ours keeps going, ahem. I'm doing this that says wises up and <laughs> finds some hope. And then uh, Vin outsmarts Ruin and by extension Marsh and some sweet tactical brain moves uh, with Yeoman. But uh, when Marsh does show up, it, uh, he basically screws that up with Yeoman since Yeoman's such a zealot. And then we've got Spook who gets a message from something somewhere in some kind of dream and he's just got to get it to uh, to his buddies. And then we're back with Ellen and Ham, and, and they decide not to attack, uh, much to Vin's happiness. And uh, But then Marsh starts the, the fight anyway, and uh, Ruin starts uh, taking over the Coloss, which is no bueno. So uh, then our Vin and Yeoman partnership finally kicks in, and we have a, a little bit of hope. And then uh, Says rides a weird horse-pig-conjure thing all the way to the pits of Hathsin, where we find out is the center of the Condra homeland. So that's where we are this week. Lots of, ex- yeah, exactly. Lots of exciting stuff. Lots of reveals this week. So uh, hold on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. As the towers of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope begin to rust. Choking fear, screaming sound, as a reaper comes to ground. Turn to face it down because you must And when the world is starts to burn At the point of no return Keep a hold of the conviction Tear at the affliction Before the world turns black Stand up and take it back so yeah, lots of stuff happening this week, and I, I kind of tried to drop a little hint at the end of last time where I'm like, there's something about the Lord Ruler's religion that we might be forgetting, and I was, uh, of course, talking about the Inquisitors and their important role in the religion and how uh, a guy like Yeoman might react to one of them showing up, which is what we get mm. in this chapter. So what did you guys think of these five chapters? Man, uh, some cool stuff. Finding out, I think the coolest reveal for me was finding out, which, you know, we'd predicted wrong just like they had in the past, but we really should have realized the same thing Says didn't realize about the first terrorists that were uh, his buddies. It's like, well, no, he's not going to make them nobles. They they have ferrochemy. Yep. So the fact that they're the first generation, that kind of blew my mind on that one. I was super surprised, didn't think of that at all. So that was probably the coolest reveal for me. Um, other than that, lots of good little tidbits here. Um, I'm, you know, I'm surprised Vin, you know, she's picking up on a lot of stuff. I'm surprised she still hasn't picked up that the earring thing is how, is why she's seeing ruin, but whatever, you know, to each her own. They don't, she doesn't really know about hemallergy. And I feel like we know so much about hemallergy now because the epigraphs that it's like confusing to us that the characters don't pick up on what's going on. Mm, so, um, yeah. so yeah, so it's just like, I'm, I keep waiting for the, for it to kind of click but it's not clicking because they don't know enough about hemallergy although i feel like marsh and ruin do a good job of explaining that in this text here so uh yeah so lots of fun stuff obviously i mean 
think we're ending at like 79% at the end of these chapters. So we're getting really close to the stuff starting to unravel. So I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, I mean, these, the, these, all these chapters had, except for the spook one, which I mean, isn't bad. It's more of a mystery, but besides the spook chapter, I think all these were really solid, uh, good, uh, kind of moving the plot chapters. So hopefully we're, we're we're to that point in the book. Yeah, we definitely had some major changes to, like, Vin and Yeoman's relationship, even. But then, uh, I mean, things are moving. Uh, there's a giant Coloss army about to attack uh, almost all our main characters, so, you know. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed these. I am enjoying that the pace has picked up a little bit. I sort of, I, I really liked in one the last book, I think it was, when we were sort of getting quick snapshots of what was happening with each group and where all at the sort of same time now so you're really starting to get that sense of urgency that oh my god it's all it's all falling apart and we really don't have a lot of time so we're going to get the answers pretty quickly so i really i really love this part of the book because you you do start getting that information and answers the bit about the first generation makes so much sense now that someone's pointed it out i think i never really thought that the first uh, sorry the 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 pacman that were with um elendi I, I had never really put together that, of course, they would have been ferrochemists. Like, that actually just makes sense. I just assumed they were terrorist men that weren't ferrochemists. I don't know why. But that's actually really cool because, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't make them alimenters. Why would you make them stronger than you? It makes zero sense. And then I think it was in the, the epigraph where it was like, oh, Alendi was a misting. And I was like, hang on, but didn't they only discover – everything once they got to the well like how could he already be a misting and then it unraveled really quickly and I was like oh I love it that's so good so I'm really excited that Says just found something now to you know just as he's hit rock bottom bring him back up and finally get some of those answers I was a bit worried that Tensoon was going to leave and they would never have that conversation so that's good I was a bit annoyed that Spook is now woken up and ready to have a conversation with Says and Says was in fact not there (laughs) Oh, <laughs> great. But, you know, see, uh, Spook seems to be fairly switched on, which I think is is really good. And it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what Quellian's like as well. So I'm, I'm kind of happy that they've had some sort of happy ending up there at the, at the moment, as happy as it can be with yeah. Rainy Ash and Earth Destruction. Um, Vin, I'm super pleased that she's managed to get a bit of metal back and – you know, it was it was very clever the way she handled the situation with Yeoman and, and playing Ruin and Marsh is just terrifying. I thought it was a bit naive of her to think she could kill Marsh <laughs> like that. But, you know, that's fine. Like, There's no way Marsh is dead. <laughs> then he obviously wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, and then the, the Colossus is what, like, Ruin being able to ultimately take power back of the Colossus makes so much sense. But, again, I, I just didn't really see it coming. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed pretty much everything in these chapters this week yeah the the coloss part is interesting because i think at the like previously when we got the epigraph that was like ruin and could c- control whole coloss armies i think it, i don't remember if it was dak or joe was like well wait can he because he's not doing it he seems to have inquisitors doing it for him and i was like huh yeah i guess maybe he can't huh maybe he just controls the inquisitors and they do it i don't know and now we find out he's just well, like slow right. playing everybody yep Lefogra. i mean why reveal your whole hand you know that's, right? That makes sense. Well played, clerks. <laughs> <laughs> These are good chapters. They have raised a few questions for me as we go, namely the fact that 
the epigraphs bring up Ruin was constantly trying to spike Yeoman. Like, but if he reveres the Inquisitors this much, it shouldn't have really been that difficult. You know, the Inquisitor could have just landed on the doorstep and Yeoman was just like, oh yeah, come on in, let's talk. Yeah, oh, well. it's true. But, um, but no, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of action in this stuff. Things are really starting to move, which is cool. I, Jamie will tell you, as like I was reading and I got to the bit where it turned out the pits were the entrance to the Kanja homeland. And I'm like, I just went, oh, God damn it. Because I know we made a joke about that several episodes yep. ago. And I was like, why is it every time we joke about stuff? This is fucking Zane's dog all over again. So it turns out to be true. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, like, good to see Marsh again. And his appearance really has actually strengthened Yeoman's alliance with, well, truce with Vin. So that was kind of cool. Um, I did like how it just sort of ended to Vin. It's like, I need to get this guy on my side. Fuck it. I'm just going to tell him all of the truth. And that seemed to be what, get him, what got her over the line. So I'm like, all right, that was pretty cool. The one well, thing I did, didn't like about these chapters was the fact that after everything, Beldry really does seem to be in love with Spook. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I was just going to kind of skate over that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't hate Spook. I don't particularly like him, but after the creepifying actions that he took, it's like, really? We're going to go with this romance? Okay, sure. Well, and it's funny because there was actually, I, I couldn't read it at the time because I didn't want to reveal anything about Beldry's, like, because uh, we were theorizing, like, oh, what's her real motives or whatever. Yeah. But there were, there was a, a long uh, annotation where Brandon's like, so Beldry kind of is interested in Spook because he's got, like, this when he sees her, he's got like this air of like mysteriousness. And he really is like the one who stands up to her brother and he saved a little kid. And he's like, he's got this strength and this confidence that, uh, and this was before they had their conversation in the, uh, you know, before they captured her and they had the conversation and everything. So it was like, she really is kind of attracted to him and like, uh, intrigued by him. But, uh, we don't really see much of that because, She's also loyal to her brother and stuff. So she's like, get out of here. Or I'm going to scream. But anyway, so, I mean, yeah, she has some motivation we didn't see. But this kind of goes along with what somebody emailed us and said. It's like they really don't like this relationship because she doesn't have much character. And we never really see much development of this love story, quote unquote. Mm. I feel like that explanation is somewhat flawed, though. Like, imagine if you saw someone from a distance and was like, oh, this person is amazing. Like, I got you know, developed a little crush on them. And then they came up to you and went, I know why you're sad. I'm getting to your brother. And blah, blah, blah. You know what? That would kind of kill it for me. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> now, now anytime anyone says, I know why you're sad, I just think of our, us talking about Norden walking up to Ellen. I know why you're sad. Your wife's in prison. It's like, yeah, dude, everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant in me... real life. Every time anyone says that, I'm like, "Who says that to you?" Like do people say yeah. that to you a lot. <laughs> no, they look at me all the time. They're like, "I know why you're sad." Be like, is that, is that... you don't know my life. Come on, man. <laughs> is that customers at your work? It's like, I know why you're sad. I'm like, this is not a good business conversation. <laughs> yeah, people don't ask me why I'm sad because that's a weird thing to ask somebody <laughs> or say to somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. also the fact that you br- you bring up Norden. And specifically mentioned his wife, like, the, like him mentioning to Ellen, to like, yeah, you're sad because your wife is in prison. And it's like, Norton, are you coming on to me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not hearing a no. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Norton likes books. Ellen likes books. Like, let's, you know, yeah. see what Everybody happens. Like, yeah, they both like thick books. I mean, it's they clear like what needs to happen. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Okay, I guess let's get into these, these chapters. I, uh, oh, I, I want yeah, a I fanfic know. of uh, Norton and Ellen's relationship, please. I bet, it, yeah, I bet there's one yeah, out there. It's uh, got to exist. By, uh, by next week. <laughs> And half half our listeners go. Here's what I prepared earlier. Like, you know, I have so much Norden fan fiction. Here's Norden and Zane. Here's Norden and Ellen. Yeah, let's be fair. It's slash fiction. Hey. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. No, anyway, we're 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 going into chapters. Uh, so yes, we get the first epigraph. Is uh, I suspect that Alendi was a misting, a seeker, but Alamancy was much rarer in those days. And uh, the Alamancers alive today are all descendant from the few people who ate preservation's beads of power. Yeah, so I guess I, and this was just me making that prediction and it not panning out. I just always assumed that he was, like, he had all the powers, that Elendi was misborn. And yes, I had I'm... even gone so far as to say maybe he was, like, the first one. And that's why everybody said he was so powerful um, and that he had to be the hero and stuff. But, yeah, to think that he might have just been a seeker, I mean, it makes sense contextually and there's really no reason for us to believe that he had any of the other powers since he did not become the lord ruler but uh yeah so i thought that was i just you know i was uh I, i'm a I'm man enough to admit hey i made a prediction it was wrong yeah there's there's actually an interesting little annotation about this where he says also as a note alendi was an alamancer as the epigraphs note he had to be he heard the pulsing at the well of ascension when no one else could Ah, you might say, but I thought you said Alamancy didn't exist before those beads. Well, that isn't 100% true. The legends say that Alamancy came with the deepness. Alendi was one of the very first Alamancers, and he gained his powers as the mists began to cover the world. That is important, winky face. Uh. So he didn't get his power from a little bead? No, he did not. Hmm. So I feel like this plays into a different theory I had. It's basically like the mist is like preservation it uses the mist or maybe since we've now found out that the powers can be, um, what is it, independent of the mind or body or whatever, mm-hmm. that the mist is uh, like the original ones truly were, I guess, mist born, right? Something in the mist snaps them, changes them makes them into mistings slash misborn. Hmm. Yeah, it, it makes, it creates them somehow. That, um, would fit with, that would fit with what we just read. That's true, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to expand on that and say that'd be the people who came down with the mist sickness. Oh. Oh, wait, yeah, hang on. No, well, no, no, the, the, the nobility blood doesn't get mist sick, so that's not going to work because they're the ones true. who have to descend the power. So disregard. Well... Well, no, see, I I don't think that's I don't think you should disregard it, Dak, because they're saying that that's separate from the beads, right? So if the nobility all have the heritage line of the bead power, maybe they cannot get uh, yeah. unless they are unless they consume a bead, because we know that the Lord Ruler, based on the epigraphs, the Lord Ruler changed the biochemistry of Ska and noble nobility. Yeah. He probably, if Rashek was alive during all that time long ago, he probably knew that mist could give power. And so he, maybe that's not something that can happen anymore because he changed the biochemistry of people. Hmm. 
That's assuming that anyone understood. Like, if, if this if Alamancers first showed up when the Deepness showed up, it like who you'd have right. to eat some metal and then figure out that you had the power from the metal, which would well, be well. I'm a assuming heck of a Ruin gave the Lord Ruler that knowledge. Right? Oh yeah, that's true. He he got a lot Whoever, of power when he ascended. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when he ascended, but but yeah, like that's that's still not, I I don't think you you should throw that out completely because maybe all those people that got sick although i don't know why it's such a specific number that's the part that i still don't get yeah why is why is preservation an arithmetic nerd <laughs> right <laughs> what's he trying what's he trying to tell us uh, mm, yep okay well that uh it that that's a good question yep and i well, okay i'm gonna point back uh remember the conversation that ellen had with preservation and that might help slightly mm, he said metal saying. he pointed at metal Wacky, waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, what a guy. Okay. I'm so... passing the savings on to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that Say's first thought in this chapter is he's like, well, yeah, that proves that Spook doesn't have pewter at least because uh, he's not healing as fast as someone with pewter. Wrong. At least my world <laughs> still makes sense. <laughs> Yay. Oh, saved. <laughs> if only Spook had woken up a little bit earlier. Oh yeah, Jamie mentioned that earlier. It's just so sad that like Spook finally wakes up and is willing to talk and says just no longer there. And nobody else cares. Like Breeze and uh and Belger and stuff They're like, no, no, it's fine. Just just rest. It's They're all probably good. Startled that he's awake giving the injuries he sustained. It's like, man, you woke up. And then was a line from Thank You for Smoking. It's like, like uh, poor use of inflection. Is she implying that I somehow might not have? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Breeze does say he is awake. Like, the emphasis was on the is. Yeah, that, I, I noticed that, too. He's like, so were they arguing about whether or not he was waking up? I don't know. Maybe he was talking in his sleep. He's like, he, he's he's awake. I don't believe you. Uh, but we find out that Breeze is the ruler, I guess, in Urto. But Quellian is still, he has authority, so. Yeah, sure, why not? And uh, Belger's sitting next to Spook's bedside, all worried about him. He's not just a man, she says. He's something special. Yeah. Maybe when no. he woke up, maybe she goes, I know why you're in pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when she said he's something special, that gave me, like, mom vibes. Like, he's my special boy. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Yeah, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it takes this really creepy relationship just that little bit creepier. See, that's, that's all we really need to find out that Beldry is also creepy, so they fit together. Sure. Creep okay. for creep. Uh, and then Sazed is getting through the very last of his religions. And uh, as I think everyone knew was going to happen, none of them are helping him. He, he can't find any of them that feels like they're completely true or whatever. Yeah, it's it seems uber convenient that he comes to this realization as... Hope Lifeline comes to his aid yeah. because I feel like if he had not gotten through all his religions, he may not have been as interested to hear, uh, to overhear mm-hmm. in what he overheard. But because he did, I don't know. He's like, oh, I feel like finding out that there is one more religion he doesn't know about, even if he's only gotten through half his religions, he'd be like, wait, I need to get that one too, so that I can make sure. Also, I mean, it's I guess, the one but... they've been looking for for a thousand years. I feel like he'd be interested. Right, but I mean. In the chapter, he just decides to open that book and read through what he and Tindwell worked on. Like, it just seems super mm. convenient plot-wise. Well, but, I mean, the dog, dog's been here for a while, so he could have finished this at any time during, like, however many days that 
Tenzun's hanging out and had the same situation. So then says sort of like, why God whose existence I doubt? Why are you, why, why do you leave me without hope? Like I'm the, I was always the one who like had faith and now I'm the one who can't. <laughs> take them Lord. Don't take me. Save me Jeebus. And then we hear Breeze outside talking to Tenzun. My dear doggy, surely you'll stay another day. She's I'm Breeze. Tenzun's putting up with that. Right? He's probably and... like, ah, they're my mistress's friends. What am I going to do? That's true. You, you got to give him some slack, I guess. And uh, Sayce is kind of thinking about like Kelsier and Vin and the lesson Vin basically learned in the first book was like, it's better to trust and possibly be betrayed which Kelsier and Vin both kind of learned that was a whole the whole like theme in the first book. So it's interesting that Says kind of revisits that lesson here. And Tensoon says, Farewell, Soother, give my regards to the announcer. And that's where it's like, wait, what? You have to imagine the, he's he's just he's just, just sitting outside the just like like making it super obvious, like, give my regards to the announcer. Wink. Right? He's like, I've been waiting days yeah, for Breeze this guy to like, give a shit. Breeze is like, Did you just did you just wink at me? no that wasn't me that was uh that was no i i had something in my eye and pre- they start talking about this term and says shows breeze the book that ruin changed and breeze like oh it looks like you got the wrong term my dear doggy like he just really loves calling him my dear dog it's so strange it's such a weird thing you feel like he's been waiting his whole life to say this for some reason, right? He's like now, like the opportunity has presented itself. He's like, "Oh fuck yeah, I'm I'm capitalizing on this." Turns out Breeze just really wanted a dog all these years. <laughs> and then uh, so he's like, "How do you know? Like this ancient terrorist prophecy?" And Tenzin's like, "You know what? Isn't it weird that uh, no one ever thought about what happened to the other guys who were traveling with Rashek and Elendi up to the Well of Ascension?" And Breeze is like, oh, come on. Everybody knows that he turned his friends into into the first nobleman. <laughs> I like I like how at this point Tenzin's done being coy. He's just like, hey, did you ever think about this? Yeah, this is what happened. <laughs> he's Honestly, like, his cho- humans are all so dumb. Have you not realized? Well, his choice of words is like, there's a problem no one has thought to point out. I'm like, is that Brandon taking a dig at the readers? And uh, so, no, I mean, I don't know if we had actually talked about this before. Like, what happened to the other guys who went up to the well? I think we just said, oh, like, we, we bought into the uh, story that they were the, f- the first Alamancers, the Lord Ruler, raised them up, and just didn't think much right. more about it. Mm, yeah, so. and I think if we had addressed specifically the fact that they would have had Ferrochemy, I might have just said, well, he used the power to get rid of their Ferrochemy yeah, and, and give them just Alamancy, which I don't know that he could have done, but whatever. And so Says is like, oh, yeah, no, of course, this makes sense. Like, he couldn't have made the Melomancers. He would have had to, he wanted to get rid of Ferrochemy, so he would have had to, like, sequester them, maybe even kill them. And Tenzin's like, no, you think he's a monster. He wasn't that bad a guy. He didn't kill his friends. Enslaved uh, people for a thousand years and, and made sure they were treated like shit. Yes, he did that. But kill his friends? Nah, nah, man. It's like, he ain't that bad. Yeah, well, you know, everybody has their line. But no, he says he sp- he spoke directly into their minds while he was holding the power and offered them a bargain. Immortality in exchange for giving up their ferrochemy. And so it's uh, and it says the father transformed every living ferrochemist into a mistwraith beginning that race. So they didn't exist before that. And he invented mistwraiths. 
But his friends, once he turned them into mistrace, he gave them some hemallergic spikes to give them their brains back. So wasn't that nice. And there's actually somebody asked Brandon once, like, what about Quan, who I'm sure you guys remember from the previous book, since we read so much of the the stuff that he wrote. So Quan, we know that Quan was like uh, had metal minds. He talked about that. So he was a ferrochemist. Uh, while the Lord Ruler was holding the power, he spoke to the minds of his friends, and he included Quan in the conversation. He's like, offered them this deal, immortality in exchange for becoming mistwraiths, basically. And his friends all agreed. Quan did not. He refused to give up his powers in exchange for this. So the Lord Ruler turned every living ferrochemist into a mistwraith, except for Quan, who he later hunted down and killed. Oh, brutal. Yeah. So also that, kind of a kind of a dick move on Quan's part, because, uh, you know, Rashek has done exactly what Quan yeah, exactly wanted what him asked. to do. Like, right? yes, yeah, so he he took out a Lendi. Uh, he took the power out of the well and didn't return it, which is exactly what because Quan knew about Ruin and didn't want Ruin released. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Rashek has done exactly what Quan wanted him to do. And then Quan said, what the hell's wrong with you, nephew? And it's like, all right, you know what? Fuck you, uncle. Well, I mean, you, you know, there's there's a whole thing about like we're going to. Because they're having to make the decision for all living ferrochemists. And all the other ferrochemists don't get their brains back. They get I to guess, be mistrate, yeah. like mindless creatures forever, which is kind of harsh. But I guess as opposed to being killed, that's there's a difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the Chondra became a species that could breed true after that. So, like, the later generations of Chondra are, like, the children of the mistrates who are, were originally these uh, – were originally terrorists, I guess. But there's also uh, there's annotation that I was going to touch on here. So what actually happened was after he turned his friends into Chondra, the first Alamancers were foreign kings. Rashek knew that he could conquer the world if he needed to, but he also knew it would be a lot easier to rule the conquered if he had allies and kingdoms who joined him voluntarily and not out of fear. So he offered Alamancy to royal families who would give their allegiance to him. Once he showed off his own power as a Mistborn, he got several important monarchs to throw their weight behind him, and they got to become the first Alamancers. So there's what actually happened with the beads and where the first Alamancers and nobles came from. Uh, Okay, back to the chapter. Sorry, let's see. And so yeah, Sazed realized that there is a record of the Terrace Faith somewhere, not written down where Ruin could have changed it, but from people who are actually alive and practicing the Terrace Faith a thousand years ago. He's like, I got to I got to find this. And Tensoon's like, OK, come on. I was ready to leave without you since everyone said that you stopped caring. But if you want to come, then I will take you there. It's on my way anyway. And maybe you can convince the first generation that the end is actually here because they won't listen to me. Which, yeah, didn't work out so well when he tried to talk them into it. I don't know. The Sazed can be that much more successful, but, you know, can't uh, can't work out worse for him, I guess. We would hope. It's worth a try. Uh, OK, so the next epigraph. Ruin tried to get spikes into other members of the crew, but it wasn't really as easy as you might think. You got to stick it in just the right place at just the right time. He tried to get Ellen and Yeoman. Ellen managed to avoid it. Ruin did get Yeoman one time, but Yeoman removed the spike. So, I mean, you made a good point. Maybe he wasn't using, uh, maybe he used a crazy guy to try to spike Yeoman instead of an Inquisitor. But if he just had an Inquisitor go up, he probably could have been like, hey, the Lord Ruler just put this spike in you. And Yeoman's like, all right, dude, cool. Yeah. It they did like, say something about it was it, it like someone who's so logical and thought out. It, it's harder to control them. I just sort of assumed that that was why it didn't work. 
He was like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, he did have the ability to think for himself and be like, wait, why would the Lord Ruler want me to do that? But he's also a strong believer in the Lord Ruler's religion. Yeah. Who knows? I guess they didn't try that. And so Vince sitting in like her cell just talking to Ruin. He's like, so why did you pick me? Why, like, all this stuff? And he doesn't seem to answer that part, actually. And he's like, man, I wish you could see it, Vin. The ash is so beautiful. Everything's black. And as if the sky itself has shattered, raining down shards of its corpse in flakes of black. He, he paints such an amazing picture. Just, And I like that he's like, uh, yeah, the Lord Ruler actually is responsible for a lot of this himself. So you can blame him if you want, if it makes you feel better. Ruin's a jerk. Uh, Lord Ruler didn't really save the world. He just postponed its destruction. And in doing so, helped me. That's the way it always is, as I told you. Everybody helps me. And he makes a good point that twisting men to become Coloss and Conjure and Inquisitors, Lord Ruler did all that on his own, which he kind of did. We know that Ruin whispered some hemolurgy stuff in his brain while he had the power, but still. I like that she's like, but you didn't like him. He, like, he wouldn't free you. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, a thousand years isn't so long. And I can't refuse to help him. I help everyone. My power is a tool, the only tool by which things can change. Well, I guess it, it, as opposed to preservation, if you only have two powers, then yeah, that's kind of true. Preservation can't change things. And so Vin finally realizes, like, I have to do something. I can't just keep sitting here because the world's going to end while I'm in a freaking cell. So guards tell Yeoman I want to deal. And when he, when, when he, she shows up, Yeoman's like, uh, so the, yeah, the guard said you have information. And she says yes. And he's like, yeah, I told them to bring me, you to me if they even suspected a trick. And apparently they don't believe that you want a deal. I wonder why. Yeah, okay, that's fair. She did, like, beat them last time and try to escape. I was I was about to jump in on Ruin's little stepping through the wall thing, but... Uh, oh, yeah, Ruin trailed through uh, through the wall, stepping with an like, idle, unconcerned gait. That's a good line. It's like, hey, what you guys talking about? Let's get out of here. You guys uh, talking about me? But, yeah, Yeoman's like, so how does Alan control the Coloss if you're really going to tell me stuff? It's like, Alamancy. And she just explains how they control the Coloss. You gotta use the metal that enhances your power. I was gonna say, yeah, she's she just straight up says, oh, by the way, there's this Duralum and stuff you can use. And I was like, whoa, you're laying all the cards out. Yep. I of mean, course, if if he really doesn't have a Mistborn, it doesn't help. I mean, true, but it's like, I don't know if she's even told the rest of the crew that at this point. I know that Ellen knows it. I know Tansoon knows it. Um, but, to, like, maybe says, but what about the rest of them? Do they know? That's a good question. I mean, once again, it, it doesn't really help or hurt if you don't have a Mistborn. But she, they're also kind of – they're used to keeping secrets. So I don't know. She didn't tell them about the Chondra. Yeah. Because, I mean, there, there were a few times in the last book where she used Duralumin in, in plain view of them, like when she rescued Breeze. And they're all just like, what the fuck? How is she doing that? Yeah. It was one of the things that was making Ham uncomfortable because he's like, she can do things that you shouldn't be able to do. If only someone asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, communication really seems to be these people's weak point. <laughs> And I like Yeoman's like, so yeah, that's interesting, but completely unprovable. So, and so she's like, okay, I'll try something else. Uh, there are five storage caches. He's like, okay, and why would I care? He's like, well, come on, the Lord Ruler planned those caverns, and you're interested in his whole plan, right? So this is exactly up your alley, dude. And I like, he, he's like, your Ellen is a man who thinks too highly of himself. He's read many books and assumes that learning makes him capable of being a king. Yeah, okay, whatever. As always, Yeoman is, like, on point with some of his remarks. He's like, 
Like what? Like you expect me to believe that you care about the Lord Ruler stuff? Uh, and Vin's like, um, okay, yeah, you got me there. She's like, I couldn't care less, but you, you care, and also I care about the people of the Empire. So, and so she's like, look, look, we discovered the caches, and all of them led us to you. So the Lord Ruler who made the caches wanted to lead us here to you. You were looking for his plan, right? See here, here we go. And uh, she gets him to tell her that the ash is getting worse. And uh, there's an interesting, it's like, no, the Lord Ruler won't let us all die. And Vin's like, but what if he really is dead? And Yeoman says, then you have doomed us all. Which goes right back to what the Lord Ruler says as, as she killed him. She's like, no, you've doomed yourselves. You have no idea what I did for you. What I do for you. Once again, communication could have solved that. Yeah. <laughs> and so she marks off where all of the, the caches are. And Yoma's like, well, this seems completely random. And she's like, I'm not making this up. Your spies can confirm it. And he's like, hey, look, not all of us have the resources for extensive spy networks, okay? Like, she just assumes that this guy's king. He must have spies like we do. <laughs> Apparently not. She's like, wait, okay, so the one we found before this one and Urto are both like mining towns. Maybe... Do you guys have a map of mineral deposits? He's like, well, yeah, we are the canton of resource. That's kind of our bag. <laughs> and so it's like he built each of the caches near storages of metal. And she feels like it must be a pattern. And he's like, you're just messing with me at this point. Like, this isn't even. And she starts to think about Quan and words in metal being safe. Did he mean safe from being changed? That's what we've thought. But did he also mean safe from being read? What if Ruin couldn't find the caches on his own because he can't read with all the metal around? So he needed someone else to visit the caches and lead him on to... Oh, crap. <laughs> he made me do that. Oh, Vin. She realizes that he's right. It's like everything she's done has been helping him. Isn't that unfortunate? And he's just staying in, in the corner being a smug asshole and applauding as she figures all this out. It's so, yeah, it's so funny because she looks over and he's just standing there like, uh-huh, yeah, just, you know, his knowing eyes, his fatherly tone and his deific arrogance. But this is where she figures out that maybe she can trick him now that she's figured out this much. And she also realizes that maybe there's something else that hasn't been entirely her idea. It's like, why have I been so interested in finding the Adium when Ellen and Yeoman are both right? It doesn't really matter. And... It's like Ruin's been manipulating me this whole time. Ruin is the one that wants the Adium. No wonder he was so smug before. No wonder he assumes that he's won. Marijuana? But why? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, this is interesting. Uh, there's one bit that applies to the chapter in the annotations that I was going to hit, but it says uh, Ruin and preservation were human. Ruin was human once. Vin implies it, and I'll just come out and say it. Ruin and preservation were both people unconnected to the powers they eventually took upon themselves. I can't say any more than that at this point. So there's a fun little. I think we sort of knew that yeah. from when pres like preservation died, and there was the annotations, uh, the epigraph straight after that that talked about how if he t like if Ellen had looked, he would have seen like a average body with black hair and a slightly mm -hmm. bigger nose or something. And it's like, well, that's a very human description. So these guys were people. Because, I mean, if one was, you have to shoot the other one was, too. Right. So. That's why I was okay with reading that, because I think we've, we'd kind of made that connection already. Yeah, we'd pr pretty well figured that out. Not to mention Ruin is looking for his body. That's apparently. true. 
Well, yeah, but like it could have been any kind of body. We didn't we didn't know. He could he could be a dinosaur. Yep, we're still going for dinosaur. That's what I'm going sure. for. Well, reptar, yeah, reptar, gotta find that reptar. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, he could have been a tentacle monster because we still haven't seen one of those yet. <laughs> That's true. True. Could be could be a, a Cthulhu. It's and like I, when, she, when, when she released Rue and she actually released the Kraken. Yeah. There's, there's another note in here that I was going to touch on because it says, and it is about the Adium. Ta-da! The Adium drove the plot in book one. It drove the second book as the armies uh, were hoping to claim the stash. It would have been a disappointment for readers, I think, to have that mythical Adium supply end up being useless. Yeoman's right. It no longer matters monetarily. Cities aren't selling food to one another in the face of the destruction that's coming. Uh, but there are other reasons, as you'll see, that the Adium is an important part of all this. So we got Marsh walks in and every yeoman's like, oh, my Lord, you finally come. I've been sending messengers. He's been looking for some inquisitors, but they've all been pretty far away, I guess. Yeoman was like us in book two, just going, where are the inquisitors? Where are the inquisitors? Right. We really haven't seen that much of them in this book either. So no, mainly Marsh. We got that one guy at the start of the book who tried to spike Ellen and then yeah. he kind of got blasted. Yeah. So Marsh alerts them to the fact that they are about to be attacked because, as we recall, uh, Ellen was getting the, was going to have the army attack, and Yeoman's like, "What? They haven't even broken camp," and that was Ellen's whole plan. He's like, "We're just going to have the Colossus attack so they before we do anything, so they won't realize until it's too late." And so uh, and that's what Marsh tells him. He's like, "The Colossus are going to—they don't need to form up. They will just run and attack you." So quickly obligator i did not come to protect your foolish little city i've come for the thing you discovered in the cache the adium it cannot be in the city when the attack comes and yeoman's like uh what i mean you can have anything i have that's fine but there wasn't any adium in that storage cache just the seven beads i had gathered myself and held as a reserve here and finn's like wait what and marsh is uh, very angry you told the girl earlier that you had it and he's like well yeah that was that she was convinced I had Adium, so I let her think she was right. And then there's a scream that's so loud it makes Vin jump, but nobody else notices. And she realizes, oh, right, okay, Ruin is over in the corner, and he's very mad now. <laughs> oh, like, Yerman's one little lie to Vin actually fucked up Ruin more than anything Vin did. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yerman, he's just like, it's called strategy? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I thought maybe you'd heard of it. Like, why does it bother you guys so much? Uh, and Yeoman's like, but why do you care? Like, it's not worth anything. And Marsh is like, you know nothing, but you're doomed. Yes, doomed indeed. Doomed! <laughs> and Ruin is over here like, ha ha ha, your Ellen is going to kill everyone. He's a great servant of mine, one of my finest. You should be proud. And Yeoman's trying to argue with Marsh, like, you have to help us. And Marsh's like, why? You didn't get me what I wanted. But the Lord Ruler, and Marsh is like, the Lord Ruler is dead. He was an unprofitable servant as well. Which, yeah, maybe that should tell you something, Yeoman. Uh, these comments, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I just, like, I really wanted Marsh to say, why? I don't I don't even like you. <laughs> <laughs> you smell funny. That's just mean, man. <laughs> so Vin's like, come on, we can we can do something. Yeoman, you can fight him with me. We'll, we'll, we'll take this guy down, this uh, Inquisitor. He clearly doesn't even like you. He wants you to die. Join our side. And I like Marsh says, idealism from you, Vin? And she's like, what are you talking about? You think it's idealistic? I believe I can kill an Inquisitor? I've killed several, FYI. 
Oh, but he's talking about the fact that she says Ellen's not really going to attack. And they have a thing about it. She's like, he's like, you know, look at all the stuff you've done. Why would Ellen not do the same? And she's like, Ellen's not going to attack because he's a better person than me. Which honestly, when I read this, I don't think I bought that because we'd just seen Ellen talk himself into attacking. But yeah. it turns out she's right. Yeah, I thought for sure Vin was going to feel some disappointment there. Vin knew Ellen better than us. It's fine. Yeah. They are married after all. Also, throughout this conversation between Vin and Marsh, Yeoman is just looking at them just like, uh, you guys have some history, apparently. Right. I, uh, um, can you can you leave me out of it? <laughs> so, like, do, do you guys want to talk and I'll just, should I go? Or <laughs> do, do you need the room? Oh, man. And the, the funny thing is, you know that Marsh can probably see, like, the ruined body also. So it's like they could be having a three-way conversation, one third <laughs> of which Yeoman can't hear. <laughs> Yerman goes down for a drink afterwards, and it's like, my lord, what happened up there? He's like, the Empress and the Inquisitor were yelling at each other, and then occasionally the girl would yell at this blank stretch of wall, which which the Inquisitor really seemed to find funny for some reason. Oh, man. I, I guess technically Marsh is talking with Ruin's voice at this point, so Ruin Ghost doesn't need to also talk, I, I suppose. Yeah, true. Uh, okay, the next epigraph is uh, one might notice the Ruin did not send Inquisitors to Fadrex until after Yeoman had confirmed, apparently, that the Adium was there. Why not send them earlier? Where were his minions this whole time? You gotta realize that, in Ruin's mind, all men were his minions. He didn't send an Inquisitor because they were busy. Instead, he sent someone who, in his mind, was exactly the same as an Inquisitor. So he tried to spike Yeoman, failed... So maybe that's really what it was. He didn't have time because it says he tried to spike Yeoman, failed, and by that time, Ellen's army had showed up. Oh, come on. So, has, he has inquisitors. He can try harder. He had just like a convenient crazy guy try to spike him. And then when it didn't work out, he's like, oh, well, Vin's there. So it's fine. I don't need to worry about it. For some reason, every time you talk about the crazy guy trying to get to Yeoman, my mind just goes, Hoyt? Oh, it could be. Yeah. He's been in both cities. Yeah. And Vin got a weird feeling about him. I have no, I have nothing to base that on. I'm just like, Hoyt? Why not Hoyt? Let's just, let's bring him back. The only other guy we know in this city, other than Slow Swift, I guess. But he didn't commit too many resources to the city because he feared a deception on the Lord Ruler's part. Like him, I wonder if the caches were in part intended for just that purpose, to distract Ruin and keep him occupied. That would be funny. If the Lord Ruler's like, I'm going to figure out how to lead him on a wild goose chase at the end. Just to stick it to him one last time. <laughs> but also, like, because this is the uh, epigraph writer in the future who's making this note, this kind of just tells us straight up, well, these caches aren't worth jack. Because if this guy in the future is just like, yeah, I think that's all they were for, then they're clearly not very part important. Of the he didn't say the whole reason. Ah, uh, okay. And then we go back to Spook. And Spook, uh, it says, that's why you absolutely must get the message sent, Spook. The pieces of this thing are all spinning about, cast to the wind. You have a clue that no one else does. Send it flying for me. Good lad, you did well, Spook. I'm proud. And he tries to nod, but everything's getting fuzzy. And then he starts to wake up. He's like, I was dreaming. Why, why was I asleep? Am I in watch? Should I go on watch? It takes a minute to realize what's going on. Well, he mentions the shop. And so, like, wow, have you really just regressed back to book one? Where they're I, hanging out in, cl in clubs' shop? Yeah, that's when he, that's yeah. when he watch that's all the time. I guess that's probably where he spent the majority of his life, is uh, working with clubs. So maybe that's just... Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. The way 
the way it sounds to me, maybe it was like he, he had a dream about his uncle telling him something. Because mm-hmm. that would make sense. Like, he says, I'm proud of you. And then all of a sudden he thinks he's, like, back in the shop. He's supposed to go on watch. I thought, actually. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, that could work. I also thought it could be uh, Kelsia voice, given his past, his recent history of, like, hearing Kelsia right. through mm-hmm. Ruin. And then there was that yep. weird little bit where he was like, I'm not good enough. And he hears Kelsey's voice say, I named you. Isn't that enough? Like, you're my friend. Right. And it's like, well, that seems a bit more specific. So I think, yeah, I, I feel like this might be Kelsey, but like, it still fits, like, because Kelsey was only around while they were in the shop. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, either one of those works. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you freak out, though, if you'd been hearing, seeing Kelsey, you know, as like ruin, and then all of a sudden Kelsey is telling you that I'm proud of you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, he was kind of on fire. Here? It's true. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been through a lot. Like, I get that. But it would be like <laughs> yeah. Kelsey's yeah. voice at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's been through a lot, but he's still the worst, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yet he, uh, yeah, like, he, like, even traumatized, burnt alive and everything else. And when he wakes up, he still just takes the opportunity to take a pot shot at Breeze. Right. It's like he sees a face above him and one quite a bit uglier than the face he'd hoped to see. Like, oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, and it's Breeze. Breeze and Beldry are there as he wakes up. And he sees Beldry. He's like, that's the one. That's that's the one I wanted. Okay. We're all good. We're all good. (laughs) He's like, why can't I move? Your body is being held by casts and bandages. Uh, The burns, they weren't, they aren't that bad. But, uh, okay, whatever somebody's like, they're not that bad. They're, They're probably pretty bad. <laughs> it's not, you know. I mean, could be worse. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Breeze? He looks terrible. <laughs> he looks like Two Face, but all over. So one, one face, one face, two body. Yeah, that make sense. <laughs> it's like one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, but it's uh, red, red spook. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's like, we're sazed. Sazed is gone, dude. He went south with Vin's Chondra. And then Captain Gordell, our good buddy, shows up. He's like, ha, survivor of the flames. Awesome. Uh, and and Spook's like, hey, what about the city? Is it safe? And they're like, yeah, mostly. We, we saved it okay. Uh, but the ash is falling worse, isn't it? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Lots of refugees, some from as far as Luthadel. So it's bad. He's like, I got to send a message to Vin. Okay, yeah, whatever. We'll We'll do that when you're better. Like, no, this is important. Something was controlling me and the citizen. And so he knows. It's the thing that Vin released from the Well of Ascension. We had no idea if he'd put that together, but he did. So that's good. Maybe that's something his dream told him. Yeah, it could be. And he even knows that it's the thing that's bringing the ash down, which even Vin wouldn't have known until more recently. So It took Ellen talking to Preservation to figure that out. Yep. Oh, I think Vin kind of had an idea before that. She was, she suspected. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Spook does seem to have gotten some information from somewhere here. And so he's like, I got to send a message to Vin, which that's why they sent me here after all, to find out stuff and report it back. So that kind of, and Breeze is like, okay, but traveling is not real easy because there's mountains of ash everywhere. And that's when Gordal jumps up. He's like, I'll do it. Vin saved my life that night. She could have killed me, but she took the time to tell me she understood and convinced me to switch sides. If she needs this information, I'll get it to her or die trying. Good on you, Gordo. Yeah, good guy, Gordo. Uh, and there's an annotation where he's like, where uh, Brandon says, good old Gordo. 
or Richard Gordon, a good friend of mine and a fantasy fiction fan. Oh, since, damn it. Yeah. So this became the series to work in cameos. I didn't put that many in Elantris, but I, I wanted to place for this guy. He's very similar to how Gordell looks, acts in the book, a solid, good natured guy, the type you want running your important message through a dying world in an attempt to save it. So, yep. But you don't have to worry. This this is apparently the series where he got it all out. He's like, I'm going to stick all my friends in here. <laughs> Damn it. I had a I had a theory about this guy, and now I'm not sure if it's accurate because I'm just like, well, is he going to do that to his friend? So, mm. shit. What was, your, what was the theory? You got to tell us now. Uh, I'll bring it up in predicaments. Okay. Fair enough. We'll proceed as planned. <laughs> <laughs> but Spook is like, okay, you have to bring me a sheet of metal and something to scratch into it. These words must be written in steel, and I cannot speak them aloud. So he has some information, and he seems to think that as long as he doesn't speak aloud, Ruin won't know what this says. So that goes back to our conversation earlier about whether or not Ruin can read words in metal. And that's kind of what Vin had the same – was thinking along the same lines uh, in her chapters. So maybe the answer is no, Ruin can't read this stuff. And next epigraph. While the Lord Ruler held the power, he saw the power of Ferrochemy and feared it. Many of the terrorist people he knew would reject him as the hero, for he did not fit their prophecies. They would see him as a usurper who killed the actual hero that they sent, which, yep, that's what he was. Yep. It says he could have, I suppose, kept Alamancy a secret and used ferrochemists as his primary warriors and assassins. But ferrochemy is not as flashy as Alamancy. So without that draw, without the drawback, uh, it offered a mystical power that he could use to bribe kings to his side, which is what I told you guys earlier, that that's how he used it. Well, I just imagine all these kings were just like, uh, I followed a Lendi, not you, dude. He he was our ruler. And Rashek's like, yeah, but I can make you do this. And fucking shows off the Alamancy power. And they're just like, you present a good counter argument. Yes. <laughs> it's like, watch, I'll shoot coins at one of your servants and kill him. Don't you want to do that? Also, by extension, realize that I could do that to you as quickly as I did it to him. It's like, hmm. Yes, yes. Compelling argument. <laughs> You make a persuasive argument, Fry. Okay, so we cut to Ellen, who's just uh, kind of standing on a rock looking at the Coloss. And Ham's like, yep, no, the Coloss are going to not have a problem there. They'll just jump right up there. And Ham's like, or Ellen's like, Ham, is this right? And Ham's like, I mean, it makes sense. But, and Ham does his thing where he's talking about both sides. He's like, but at the same time, like, loosing a group of Coloss on a city seems kind of immoral. What if you can't control them when they start to go crazy? Is saving Vin worth the possibility of killing even one innocent child? I don't know. And Ellen's like, I shouldn't have asked Ham. Jeez. Ham never gets to, like, a straight answer. Yeah, but his options were Ham or Set. And Set's, yeah. Set's going to be like, uh, fuck yeah, attack, dude. Get yeah. on with it. I want my city back. Give it. Give me, give me, give me. <laughs> yeah. But then Ham goes, no, we shouldn't attack. And Ham, Ellen's like, wait, did, did you really just come to a conclusion, Ham? And Ham's like, yeah. Didn't offer any explanation or rationalization. Goddamn. And Ellen thinks, he's like, what would Vin do? And then he's like, she wouldn't want me to do this. Correct. Which is exactly right. And so he's like, okay, we're going back. Tell the men to turn back. We're leaving. And Ham's like, what about Vin? And he's like, we'll, we'll figure out another way to get her back. We're not going to, we're not doing this. And Ham smiles and says, Seth's going to be furious. And Ellen goes, he's a paraplegic. What's he going to do, bite us? Come on, let's go. I love that line. <laughs> I'll bite your leg off. It's hilarious and wrong, so wrong at the same time. 
it's yeah, yeah it's like you say that about any other character who is who um who has a disability and that would be horrific but because it's yeah. set everyone's just like <laughs> fuck yes that's what it is yeah like set set is such an asshole that it's okay oh and during uh during these annotations, Brand, I've I skipped most of it. Brand's been talking about how he's trying to space the climaxes out a little bit. Like, we had the climax in Urto, and then Sazed has kind of his personal climax where he reaches the end of his religions and kind of gets into this depression and discovers this new thing. And right now, uh, it says, and what is this? A climax for Ham? Hammond lovers, your faith has paid off. This is the best I could give him. But <laughs> it seems to me like it works. All through the series, I have him question and debate and really come to conclusions. But here, he gives Ellen advice at exactly the right moment, and it's exactly the right advice. I don't mean to say that attacking the city was the wrong thing to do. It would have been the wrong thing for Ellen to do. He's a protector, not a conqueror. Taking a city even for its own good would have destroyed him as it violates his basic principles. Fair enough. And then he's like, not to say that uh, there aren't some other stuff happening in this chapter, because as we discover, Ruin controls the Coloss and always has. Every time Vin and company took control of them, it was because Ruin allowed it. Didn't always like losing Inquisitors in these fights, and sometimes would have preferred they went differently. But when it came down to either having the Coloss under his control or having them under Vin and Ellen's, he chose the latter because it set him up for a time like this when he could turn his own army against them. So yeah, he kind of... Return of the Jedi moment. It's like the Emperor just going, oh yeah, this happened because I wanted it to happen. Oh yeah, that does make sense. For some reason, when you said Return of the Jedi, I was thinking, like, when Luke slips uh, R2-D2 into Jabba's uh, retinue so that he can oh. throw him the lightsaber at just the right moment. <laughs> I mean, that that's also fitting, I guess. I don't know why. That, that, that's <laughs> first, Your part made way more sense, but that was where my mind went. But yeah, it's like, basically, Ruin gave himself some double agents for just uh, right when he needed them. So we cut back to Vin and Yeoman, and somebody's like, they're pulling back, my lord. And Vin's like, ha, ha, ha. I was right. Ruin was wrong. Suck it. Suck on that, or whatever it was. That they, the anachronistic phrasing that we yeah. found out. <laughs> then Ruin's like, huh, well, that's weird. And Vin's like, you don't get it, do you? You don't think that we realized all along that you were after the Adium? That you were following us from cavern to cavern, pushing on my emotions, getting me? Coloss always started going towards the city only after we found it. So it was clear that you, and not too fast, fast enough for us to get there first. So it was clear what was going on all along. We played you. You never knew when we actually found the Adium. Metal is your power used to make Inquisitors, but it's like light to you, blinding. So you never saw when we discovered the Adium. Pretty bold assumption to make and then run with it. I mean, I realize she's out of time and this is literally the last card she's got to play. But gosh, you'd really hope you were right. <laughs> when she's saying it's like blinding to him, is she implying that like the blue lines and stuff or like the brief bit of Inquisitor vision we saw in book one, it's like uh, around metal. That's that's what Ruin sees to cranked up to 11. It's just like blue lines, blue stuff everywhere. And you just can't actually see anything through them, through the haze of it. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I guess when she said it in my mind, it was always like, when there's a piece of metal, it's like glowing white hot with power and when everything else around it is normal. But that's not necessarily – that's just the way I pictured it. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. But so uh, Ruin buys the bluff, like bites hard because Marsh runs across the room and grabs her. He's like, where is it? Swear to me. 
<laughs> Where's uh, the trigger? <laughs> I think more of the cockroach guy from uh, Men in Black 2, where he's like, he opens that diamond thing and they're not in there, and the uh, galaxy's not in there. He's like, oh, where is her? <laughs> <laughs> Great Vincent D'Onofrio mil- film, by the way. Yep. Oh, yeah, that is him in this film. Sorry. No, I can't think of Vincent D'Onofrio. De- De- is that how you say it, D'Onofrio? Yeah. It's spelled like yeah. D'Onofrio or whatever, right? But he's just kingpin in my brain now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, he was criminal intent guy to me. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah he's good. But Ruin's like, oh no, you're going to tell me where the Adium is, child. Have I not explained this already? You can't fight me. Everything you do helps me. You think you're so smart, but you don't even know what that Adium is. See, this is the bit where Ruin's doing all the talking and Vin's responding. So Yerman's like, what, what, what are you doing? Because <laughs> yeah, Marsha's just like grabbing her and shaking her while Ruin's talking and she's talking back to Ruin. But she's like, Yeoman, come on. Can you not see what's going on here? And Ruin's like, do, you, do I really have to prove that you can't? Okay, fine. And Marsha's like, hey, Yeoman, order an assault. He's like, wait, what? So like, yeah, I want you to tell your soldiers that they should attack Ellen Venture's army as it's leaving. And Yeoman's like, well, so you want us to leave our fortifications and charge the giant army of Coloss? And Marsh's like, uh-huh. You got a problem with that? <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeoman, come on. And Ruin's like, you see? You see my power? How I manipulate even their faith. And Yeoman says, give the order. Have the men attack. The Lord Ruler will protect them. Do you not? Marsh said like five minutes ago, he told you to your face the Lord Ruler was dead. One of the Inquisitors, who's like the leaders of the church. How are you? Whatever. Yeah. They're getting desperate. <laughs> we cut back to Ham and Ellen, and Ham's like, I did not expect that. As the soldiers start to come out from behind to attack them. And uh, Ham's like, what on earth is he doing? And Ellen says, retreat. He goes, what? I said, sound the retreat. Abandon our position. Get the soldiers back. Because something about this, it reminds Ellen of when he led his small group to attack the giant Coloss army, Vatitian, Vatitian, whatever. And that worked in his favor. He's like, this is, there's something weird happening here. We got to go. And Ham's just like, this is the strangest damn retreat I've ever seen. Oh, whatever. <laughs> and we cut back and Yeoman is crying because he fears that he's ordered his men to their deaths. And Vince, she'll try to talk him over. And he's like, no, no, this is a test. The Inquisitors are the Lord Ruler's most holy priests. I will do as they command, and the Lord Ruler will protect my man and this city. Man, you're so stubborn. Oh, my God. <laughs> How much has to be laid before you, before you realize? Aha! Oh, man. Marsh did not seem to find Ellen's retreat amusing, and that was enough to make Vin smile. And uh, Vin, he grabs Vin again, which is what Vin wants, because uh, she's using some street thief skills that she learned as a kid to pick some pockets here. Or his sash, as it were. And Ruin's like, yeah, you think you've been playing me this whole time, but guess what? You're the one who's been played. The Coloss that you think serve you, yeah, that's my power. And Ellen loses control of the Coloss. Unfortunate. And so Ruin is going to play this by destroying Ellen's army with his own Coloss. And Yeoman's up here like, yes, you, you, thank you. The Coloss have turned. You delivered up my uh, my people. 
and Vin knows that Ruin does not care about uh, Yeoman or his city, but Ruin will gladly let Yeoman help him kill Ellen's people before turning on Yeoman. And she tries to tell this to Yeoman. She's like, he's going to come for you next. But Yeoman doesn't want to hear that. He has faith in the Lord Ruler. And Ruin whispers that everything is in place. Where's the Adium? It's the last piece. And finally, she manages to slip her little fingers into his sash and grab what she wanted, his vial of metals. Because as we know, March has all the powers, which means he needs all the metals. Yep. Sleight of hand. Wow. (laughs) Spirit fingers. Wait, no, that's a different thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so Vin downs it, and uh, she pulls out her earring and uses a Duralumin-fueled push to send it like a bullet directly into Marsh's forehead and out the other side. And Marsh drops, which, yeah, you probably would. So I think uh, Jamie mentioned in a, like in an earlier episode when we were talking about if this really was a hemologic spike. I think, Jamie, you said you weren't sure how you would kill someone with, the, with an earring. But there you go. Yeah, you just push it through their their head okay yeah, it makes uh, sense not not uh, not a fun experience probably probably not no and uh, coincidentally ruin has disappeared in the chaos of the escape uh, he left yes left <laughs> and she's like come on yeoman yeah. bring your men back oh man put it together would you <laughs> <laughs> even spook figured this out it's true but yeoman says no i will not lose faith and then Vin does something a little bit shady. I mean, in the end, it's for the greater good. It's, it, she, she's helping because it's true that <laughs> Ruin was not going to let Yeoman survive. But she's like, no, look, he's going to attack you too. And then she uses the thousand kolosh she still has <laughs> to attack Yeoman's lines. Oh, no. Look what they're doing. Isn't that terrible? And she points out to him, she's like, were you not paying any attention to what that Inquisitor just said? He said the Lord Ruler is dead just now. Which, yeah, come on. And Ruin manages to yank her Coloss away. But not before the damage is done. Yeoman says retreat and will order the men to allow Venture soldiers refuge inside as well. But then she's shocked as Marsh climbs back to his, not his feet, his knees. But we know that uh, based on uh, some of the other stuff we've read that he has uh, ferrochemical healing so he can heal even from that, apparently. That's terrifying. Yep. But Marsh makes an interesting point where he's he's like, look, even if Yeoman turns against me, all I have to do is kill him. Because he's made it, all of the people under him also believe in the Lord Ruler. So if he's gone, they'll follow me. And, and she, she's, she just goes, no, no, I'm the heir of the Lord Ruler, you dick. Don't take my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch my stuff but she gets the idea she's been able to use a Duralumin enhanced soothing to take control of Coloss and Chondra maybe it will work on Inquisitors and she tries it and it almost kind of works but not quite it's just there's something there and it's too strong and then he reaches out and grabs her by the neck and starts getting like ferrochemical stronger which you can tell because they bulk up when they're tapping strength and she's like, oh, crap, now I'm in trouble. And she probably would be dead here, except that the same thing happens that happened, uh, what did she say, five years ago in the Lord Ruler's throne room? 
No, many years ago is all it says. It says many, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. She calls upon the mists. Yep, she draws on the mists again and uses yeah. them to fuel her alamancy. She calls the name of the wind. Oh, wait. <laughs> the name of the mist. Like the mists are like the sort of Gryffindor. You know, it presents to those who need it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going with that. I like it. Yeah. You broke my loot! <laughs> <laughs> but she uses her uh, her mist-enhanced pushing to push on his emotions again, and she starts to get a sense of some stuff, of ruin inside his brain, and uh, his love of destruction, his hate, Marsh's hatred of himself, and the hateful, destructive thing that hides behind the mask of civility. Ruin was not the same as the mists, which she had become kind of not fond of the mists, this book, if you recall, but uh, she thought that they didn't like her and she didn't like them. But this is her realization that Ruin, the thing she's finding, is not the mists. There's, It's a different thing. And Marsh runs. And she's like, I drew on the mists again. How does this keep happening? I don't understand. I, I, I've tried a bunch of times. Why does it not only work like these two times? They just really hate people getting strangled. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's a personal thing. Uh, Preservation got strangled one time and he wasn't a fan. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, uh, this isn't as kinky as I thought it was. It just hurts. Oh. <laughs> That's why he and Ruin don't like each other. Oh, let's not go down that rabbit hole. We're coming back to Elland, who is trying to fight off these Coloss and get his men uh, retreating. And we find out that he has 10 coin shots in his army, which I don't think is a thing that we knew. And they're sitting here firing wave after wave of coins at the Coloss, like archers. But he also has archers. We'd speculated several times. It's like, do they have any mistings in this army? They don't seem to bring it up that often. Yeah. So it was nice to get confirmation. This, oh, yeah, we've actually got a few here. So, And his main line of soldiers is supported by lurchers from behind who pull on the Coloss weapons to throw them off balance. So he's kind of he's kind of got some clever uses for uh, some of this, his small number of alamancers, and then sets there, drinking some water, and he's like, I never did like having those things in the army anyway, and he goes, at least we'll die in battle rather than of starvation. Thank you, Set. Very helpful. And then something flies through the air and lands right in the middle of the table because why not? And Vin is like, Ellen, retreat into the city. Yeoman will let you in. And he's like, Vin, what took you so long? I got delayed by an Inquisitor and a Dark God. Now hustle, and I'll distract the Coloss. Oh, Vin. I love her. She's the best. I love I love their little dynamic. He's like, just drops in after being captured. He's just like, oh, finally. Yeah. Where have you been? Jeez. It's about time. And then she give, she just gives back the yeah, Inquisitors, Dark Gods, you know, same old stuff. Yep. Just an average day. You missed our, you missed our date night and our board game night. Ham beat the pants <laughs> off me in Settlers of Catan. <laughs> Settlers of Luthadel? No, that doesn't work. Turns out you do not want to play the game of life with Set. <laughs> yeah. I don't want Set's to play also with Set. really good. Yeah, exactly. Set's also really good at risk, so that sucked. <laughs> there is one bit in the annotations I was going to touch on for this part where he talks about drawing on the mist. And he's like, Vin does it for the second time here. I kind of wish I'd made, been able to make her do it in the second book somewhere, but I decided to back off on that plot in book two. The thing is, Vin drawing in the mist feels kind of like a deuce ex machina, and I didn't want to make the entire series about that. It's a mystery to be explained, true, and it was worked in and part of the magic system from the beginning, but I can't deny that it feels like it comes out of nowhere. So that's why we didn't get that in book two. Yeah. 
she didn't need it when she broke uh, she broke Ellen's half brother's skull with her skull. <laughs> I think it would have been a bit much if it was in all three books too. Like, yeah, eh, I agree. He's gonna draw on the mist again. We're still not gonna know why or how. But... Mm. Like that once per episode thing. It's like, how did this happen? Uh. Yeah. The next yeah. epigraph would be like drawing on the mist, and I'm like, ah, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> The next epigraph is Inquisitors had little chance to resist Ruin because they had more spikes than any of his other hemallergic creations. So there there you go. There's our theory from however long ago that more spikes makes it harder to resist. Here it is. There it be. More spike, more control. It would have taken a man of supreme will to resist Ruin even slightly while bearing the spikes of an Inquisitor. Foreshadowing. Bum, bum, bum. We already know that, like, uh, Marsh has been resisting in his mind, if nowhere else a little bit. So I think that's yeah, just he, telling us like Marsh is a cool dude. Oh, but he's getting ready for something like his internal monologues is like, makes it clear. Like he's, he's storing up his resistance or whatever for a certain moment. So sometime before the end of the book, that moment's going to come. Mm. Yep. W- one would really hope like if, if Vin had just killed Marsh there, it would have felt like really anticlimactic for his whole like character. Th- this book. Oh, like, like which, Oh, and he's dead. Now. She, okay. When, when she did that, I did not believe for a second he was staying down. Yeah. I was like, well, that's yeah. not going to stick. Yeah, no. So then we cut to Sazed and Tensoon. And Sazed is like, oh my gosh. I've, I've I've been kind of a jerk. Of all the times the world needed something to believe in, this is it. And I wasn't caring. I wasn't here to help people. And it kind of takes a minute to get around to the fact that he is riding on Tensoon. And Tensoon, uh, he's... He says he'd feared slowing Tensoon down, who obviously could travel more quickly as a wolfhound. Tensoon thought about that and then ordered a horse and a large hog brought. The hog to give him extra mass so that he could make a body around the horse, but like with enhanced muscles and weight. So it makes it like a big old Clydesdale, basically, that can run fast with this deep, deep ash. It's like, holy shit, there's a lot more a Cantor can do with their ability than we realized. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, like, originally he was, way back when, he was very offended to be a dog, but then that sort of grew on him. When did this whole horse-pig thing occur to him? It's like, has he just experiments with other bodies on the side? It's like, hey, being a dog wasn't so bad. What other animals can I do? Right. It makes you wonder. I mean, I guess it might be repulsive to him, but he's he's sort of come around and gone, well, you know, that body really works for me. This is what I need now, and that body's going to do it for me. So, yeah, not a Yeah, it's out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. He's just going to show up at the Battle of Fadrex. It's like, there's going to be like, wait, what is that thing attacking the Coloss? A fucking elephant plows in and starts talking. It's like, everyone get out of here. Man, that would be the best. Like, Tensoon, the war elephant. Oh, Condra aren't allowed to kill people, though, so. No, he's killing Coloss. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe that's okay. I don't know. <laughs> An elephant who never just... forgets to kill. <laughs> I just got your dinosaur comic again. That's weird. No, this is a different one because oh. uh, I was about to read out of the annotations. He this this section of the annotation is called Talking Horses that Talk About Their Feelings. So <laughs> a funny story about this chapter begins with me admitting that I did not come up with the Tensoon digest a horse trick first. I tried writing this scene with Sazed clinging to Tensoon's wolfhound back as they ran south. It was awkward to describe and even more awkward to imagine and did not work well. Eventually, while working on the solution to the problem of getting Sazed south, I realized that Tensoon could just digest another body and use that. Easy fix. And one that fits really well with the magic in the setting. This intersects with another story relating to my friend Nate, 
one of the guys in my writing group who's a big fan of dinosaur comics, a webcomic that deals with philosophy or literary criticism often. Years ago, he brought a comic to the group where one of the characters in the comic strip complains about fantasy books and how they're all about talking horses that talk about their feelings. So all through writing book two of Mistborn, Nate took delight in the Vin slash Tensoon scenes as they were all about a talking dog who talks about his feelings and never let me live that down. So almost just for him, I had Tensoon take on the body of a horse for a few chapters. At least he didn't end up saying that much about his feelings. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, would so you, I, I like the end of the comics. Like, would you rather battle Klingons or trolls? God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dropped that comic into the into our chat so you guys could read about uh, fantasies all about talking horses talking about their feelings. Boring feelings. I mean, aside from Narnia, I don't remember any other books about talking horses. Is, 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 has that T-Rex just been watching My Little Pony? I'm trying to think of one now, too. Like, I've read other books with talking dogs, but I don't think I know any talking horses. Yeah. Let's see. Talking horses and sci-fi. No, in fantasy. That's why oh, sorry. Dinosaur says sci-fi in is better. Fantasy books. But the other day when I was looking through these annotations, I started reading some dinosaur comics, and that's when I dropped the other dinosaur comic into our chat because it was funny. Yeah. And it reminded me of the spook rap because he's got the Sherlock Holmes rap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they're – Says is riding this giant horse thing, and Tensun can just keep going. We know he has the blessing of potency that he got from uh, Orsor, so apparently it lets him keep going for a long time. Plus, you know, he had a big meal. He grew up, boy. He ate his food. It's really too bad that, like, Spook didn't wake up first, because then Gordel could have come too. Now he's going to have to, like, walk it or something. Sucks for him. Oh, Jamie, tell him what you thought about Tensun's voice. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know what happened, but in the first chapter we read for this week, all of a sudden Tensoon's voice is Nibbler from Futurama. Yep, I could absolutely see that. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, it's like because he's he's like a wolf hound or something, just like Nibbler was a pet, and you don't expect them to talk, and then they're both very smart. So I totally it fits. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. We are created like Inquisitors or like Colossus. Yeah. However, we are more <laughs> subtle creations than either of those. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes we make poopies. <laughs> <laughs> so Tensoon starts to explain, uh, you know, my people are, are created from Mistrace, the Lord Ruler turned Ferrochemist into Mistrace. We talked about all this. And they began to breed true as a species. Add a blessing to a Mistrace, and they awaken and turn into a Chondra. So, yeah, I mean, Tensoon was never a, fer- uh, a, a, a Terrasman. He was born 300 years after the Terrasman got turned into Mistrace, so he was he's a pure Mistrace. And he explains, says, like, what's a blessing? They are two metal spikes. We're created like Inquisitors or Coloss, but we're more subtle, as uh, Joe said. No, Dak said that. Oh, was it? Sorry. You guys, it was a voice, so I didn't. (laughs) Nibbler said it. Yeah, Nibbler said it. Exactly. That's that's (laughs) what it was. Frank Wilka. Yeah. Yep. Scooby-Doo. I mean, (laughs) Freddy from Scooby-Doo. Joining us on this episode is Frank Wilka. That would, I, that would be great. I love Frank Welker. Flock of geese. That's like, they, they talk about that like, that's from one of the... Futurama uh, commentaries. Commentaries, yeah. Yeah, he can do a whole flock of geese with his voice. Just like, God. you ask Frank for any animal and he's there. Just yeah. right instantly. <laughs> that's it. Because he, he, does, he does Nibbler's normal, like, chatterings, the really yep. high-pitched stuff as well, doesn't he? Yep. You know who's uh, underrated? Dave Herman. That guy's great. Yeah. Sure, I agree. 
Uh, let's see. So he, his blessing gives him strength. He's, he's, they're having a conversation. He's teaching Says a little bit about Chandra. Uh, there isn't much time left. And Says like, yeah, I can see that. So what can I do? And Tensu says, this is the only time where we can succeed. We have to be ready to aid the hero when she comes. She will lead an army of Alamancers to the homeland. And there will save all of us. Chandra, human, Kolos, and Inquisitors. Well, that's news. She's going to have an army of Alamancers that she leads to the homeland. All right. And he's like, you have to convince the Chandra of how dire the situation is. There's something they must be prepared to do, something difficult yet necessary, and they will resist. And Tenson's like, hey, do you know where we are? And so he's like, I don't know, dude. Everything's like, it's all ash. I have no idea where we are. Over there is where the terrorist people have set up their camp. And so he's like, wait, we're at the pits? He's like, yeah, we call it the homeland. They're not technically the pits. They're like adjacent. <laughs> it's pit adjacent. Yeah. When they when they sold us the land, they said, yeah, it's it's pit adjacent. <laughs> like, wait, so does your homeland grow, Adium? Is it grow it? No. Uh, that's what that's what separates us from the pits. That's where those stuff. That's what separates us from the rest of you. And so he's basically, you see that like depression, the low place in the ash. That's where you got to dig. So go in there. It'll be great. Get on with it. And so, yeah, he, he, he digs a little bit and finds a tunnel. And oh, uh, Hang on. Hang on. You you skipped the... Yeah, you skipped like, the great part. Says jumps off and is like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take my pack. Uh, you got a bag here of dog bones and another mm-hmm. bag of human bones. <laughs> What's that about? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Probably yeah. a body. It's fine. He's, he's <laughs> a Chandra. I guess I'm not going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Just normal you Chandra you, stuff. Yeah. You blobs really cracketh me up. You never know when you might need to be a human for a little bit. It's fine. It's like, he's not incorrect in that assumption, but there's something else about those bones he should probably know. Eh, it's fine. Says probably wouldn't care that much. It's not like it's real Kelsey. Still Kelsey's bones. (laughs) Nobody, nobody like, asked for them back or anything. The Conjure had them and they knew, (laughs) so they were like, yeah, whatever, who cares? I guess that's true. The Conjure did bury them himself. Dude, or, what if there's uh, what if there's bone alamancy? That'd be pretty sweet. Ooh, I don't know how that would work, but it's weird. Yeah, shove bones through people. That's okay. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so Sage gets in the tunnel, and somebody up ahead is like, "Wait, Condra, who are you? Which bones do you wear? Who returns from contract?" And uh, he's like. Part of him was frightened, part of him was curious, because uh, he knows a very important fact. Chandra aren't allowed to kill humans, so what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? Put me in a box? <laughs> it's like, uh, Vin was sure Yeoman wasn't going to kill her, but as Yeoman pointed out, that didn't mean she was safe. Yep. It's uh, it, it's Aladdin and the Return of Jafar all over again, where it's like, <laughs> you'd be surprised what you can live through. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Hit me with that fish. <laughs> you spray everyone who comes into your apartment with flame retardant chemicals. No wonder you're single. No, oh, single. Yep. Oh, oh man, Alan Rickman, love that guy. R.I.P. Yep. But I like Sazed. Is like you're gonna be surprised. I think I'm not a conjurer. My name is Sazed. I'm a keeper, and I gotta speak with first generation. And there's like, oh, oh, uh, what? He's like, you don't have to let me pass. I mean. uh I guess if you don't take me into the homeland, I'll just have to leave and tell everyone out there where it is. 
And so they're like, okay, come with us. And that's the end of the chapters. Good end. They get so, like, I don't know what the right word is. If it's sarcastic Lawyered. or, like, snarky. He lawyers It's, it's great. <laughs> it's it, it's reminiscent of old says from, like, book one where he's, like, uh, sassy. Yeah, yeah. Where he's sassy with Finn. Exactly. Good times. Good times. Oh, so there's an interesting one more thing that I wanted to touch on from the annotations because uh, it says Condra have spikes. You should be worrying here about the fact that Condra have spikes. After all, just yeah. one chapter ago, Ruin took control of a pile of Kolos. I like it. He calls them a pile and turned them against their allies. He's already done that with the Inquisitors, so only the Condra are left. Ruin has generally ignored the Condra. He doesn't see them as all that useful. They can't kill people, and they're too thoughtful and quiet to be destructive in the way he wants. He considers them much inferior to the Coloss and the Inquisitors, but that does not mean he is not aware of them. You are right to be worried. The thought had crossed my mind. Oh, yeah. They did okay. also make a point, Tensoon was saying, that you know, they've, they've got more independence of mind than the other two, so I assume that was also part of it as well. Like, it'd be harder for Ruin to control them because less spikes more and you know, freer minds, that sort of thing. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. They're not impossible, but more difficult. Okay, let us uh, get into predicaments. Uh, let's just do the same order. We go Joe and Jamie and Dak. Okay, so um, let's start to unpack here. Let's see. So we get sazed, and we get sazed, finally sparking some hope here, and he's going to go meet with the Chondra. I don't know... I don't know what's going to happen. Let's let's factor the Ruin stuff into it that Data just gave us. So when I'm thinking about it in that way, Ruin, maybe he's long playing the Chondra, like he's been long playing others. And the like when Sace gets there, the younger Chondra are going to uprise and like try to take over the Chondra homeland and possibly do away with the first generation. Because we know there's kind of been some trouble brewing with some of the younger generations that that especially the ones that looked up to Tenson. Also, we don't really know when Tenson escaped. We don't really know what happened. Um, as far as Condra, like were they on lockdown? Did they stop taking contracts? But I guess I mean we don't know. So what could that look like? Or if Ruin's just like imposing himself immediately into the situation, then once start things start to develop with Says, it's possible that he's going to like influence the first generation to think a certain way or say certain things or do certain things. And maybe he already had been influencing them. I don't know. But uh, I just don't see that going super swimmingly for Sazed. But who knows? Maybe maybe it will work out. I just see a lot of issues there, especially now that we're getting the information. It's like, yeah, you should be worried that the Chondra, you know, they're hemological beings. Because that is worrisome. So we got that. Uh, there's a couple key things feel like with uh, with the homeland in general okay so the pits of hathson right next to next door could the chondra have lots of adium he said they don't grow it but they could have it and maybe like they, like they slipped over there and grabbed some when nobody was looking sure or the lord ruler was a smart guy he was a stockpiler maybe that was part of the contract he had with him like hey take like Grab this adium and stockpile it. Maybe the, I don't know, maybe the adium wasn't getting to where it was supposed to go. Maybe they were taking it. So that's a thought, especially the, the he asked, because I feel like, I feel like even though Tensun is, is forthright sometimes, I also feel like he, he only answers questions 
specifically the way they're asked. So he's like, oh, do you guys grow at him? And he's like, no, I don't grow out here. But, uh, you know, we're right next door. So uh-huh. so maybe the, maybe there is Adium here. Because obviously we now know that he wants... Ruin knows there's a stockpile of Adium somewhere, or at least he thinks there is, and he wants it bad. Yep, he really wants that stuff. Yeah, which leads me into my next theory. I'm kind of puzzle piecing this together here with the pieces that I have. So we know that from previous chapters that that uh, that uh, what's his name ruin he he has a body and he wants it and then he wants this adium real real bad so and then another thing that made me think of this is that the conjure themselves make bodies for themselves out of like crystal and stone is the adium ruins body if he wants it real bad and he oh. wants the adium real bad is the metal itself somehow his body okay I mean, yeah, we, we did talk about the possibility that it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a human body that is the body he's looking for. Right. And he does want these two things. He wants his body, he wants the adium. So I guess that makes sense, yeah. So you did say, like, you don't know what it is. Right. So. You don't oh, know yeah. what it is. That was weird. That was a, a really weird way to say that, or, or yeah. a weird thing to say. So, yeah. Okay. And we also know that preservation has some kind of metal that allows people to... To, to have alimantic powers, or at least he created some kind of metal that does that. And, and also it's like the adium is not like any other metal we read about in the book. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, just exist in his mind. It grew back. Yeah. That's weird. really weird. Like how would something – like how, is, how does a metal grow back into geodes? Like that's yeah. very strange. It's almost like a um, pearl. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, and they describe those as pearls. They de- I feel like they describe the beads. They give the alimantic powers pearls uh, as pearls. So it's just kind of – and, you know, just based on him wanting both of those things so badly, it just kind of fits together for me. It's like, what? I mean, we know he wants his body. We, now we know, based on his reaction, he really wants that adium. And – uh, obviously, he doesn't need to see what his what I mean. I guess he does need to see what his opponent's next move is, but it's not like consuming the like little bits of adium is really what he wants. If that's what he wanted, he would just take Yeoman's adium, the few pearls that he had. But that's not what he wants. He wants the whole thing. So there's got to be something to the whole piece. Which again, I don't know how that works. Like if the pearl is the part that gives people powers. What what is the stockpile? Why why does he need a certain amount of it? That's the part that's confusing to me. Why does he need a certain amount of it mm-hmm. in order to whatever he's going to do? I guess manifest himself because right now he can't. At least based on what we read, it doesn't seem like he could physically manifest himself outside of people that have been hemallergically implanted. So he can't like make himself appear to people or physically manifest himself in any way it doesn't seem like yeah he definitely hasn't so right uh, we don't know for sure he can't but it kind of seems that way yeah it seems that way and so when when you think about it it makes sense he's saying i don't have my body where you know i want my body back so that's uh that's that's the theory on that's my theory on adium and why we're in the homeland and which is which says all kinds of weird things about 
how this stuff works. It's like, are they eating bits of ruin to know the future? I don't know. It's it's confusing. Mm, yeah, it's weird. So there's that. Uh, there's that piece that that takes us into the third chapter. I don't know what this message is. This book got. If if his uncle gave it to him in the dream, great. If Kelsier gave it to him, I'm in his dream. I'm a little surprised that he's willing to take Kelsier's word for it. Of course, we obviously stepped into the end of a dream conversation. So who knows what was said before that? Because we, you know, it's not on the yeah, page, so we don't know. Um, Could have been anything. Right. So whether or not it's Kelsier or his uncle in the dream that told him whatever, it seems like he's got some some knowledge that he th- he believes is very true, even though. At this point, a lot of it seemed like speculation. So um, either he was given that knowledge in the dream or his subconscious pieced it all together or, you know, something. But he's got a message to give to Vin about hemology. I'm assuming, like, about maybe how the spikes work and ruin and the spikes and all that. Also, and and then going on to the next chapter, Vin didn't, like, grab her earring back that we saw, I don't think, right? Like, it didn't say on page that she got her earring back? I don't think it said, no. Okay. So that'd be interesting to know if she'd find it or if she'd even put it back in. Maybe she'll get the message from Spook and not want to do that, if that's what the message says, which I'm thinking it might. And then I don't know what they're going to do, just hold up in Fadrex. I guess wait for Tensun to arrive and then all head out to the homeland, I guess, since that's what they're supposed to do. So Tensun arrives, they march to the homeland through the ash, riding, you know, weird horse dog Tensun thing, horse pig dog. Dog horse pig? Dog pig horse. I like that one better. Man bear, Man bear pig. Yep. Man bear pig, sure. And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, a battle. Surely a battle's coming. Surely. I feel like we're getting there. I'm trying to think if I've left anything out that I was thinking of. Oh, my only, I mean, again, it's like anytime I predict something, it just raises another question. It's like, if if somehow the adium is his body, then what is preservation's body? Um, and, and they had man bodies at some point, right? Cause that's yeah. what we're getting at here. So do they both turn into a metal? Did they, I don't know. Anyway, that's where I'm at. Okay. That works. Okay. So I've only got a couple of things today, but I was sort of thinking that the Adium stockpile maybe is the true bodies of the first generation. Maybe it's a stockpile they've actually had for a really long time. So, because we haven't really seen them yet, so maybe, maybe that will be a thing. Also, if Ruin can't see all of that metal, maybe that's part of why the homeland is so state so safe as well. Hmm. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what Sage finds when he actually manages to talk to the first generation. I think Vin is now out of trouble. I was very worried for her for a few episodes there so I think I was wrong with that I think Vin back with the crew makes a lot of sense I think that Goradel will probably make it to Fadrex to pass on the message I think it's going to look pretty neat everything's going to fall into place but then I think they're all still going to they're not going to make it especially now that Sazed is underground and the Kandra can survive if there's sort of ultimate destruction up top they're pretty well they seem to be pretty safe down there and happy to ignore what's going what's going on 
so I think, yeah, Sazed is going to be one of our survivors. But I, for the rest of the crew, I don't feel very optimistic for the, the outcome of the book. So still a bit of a downer on that one, I guess. Okay. That's sad. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it does seem less likely Vin is going to be executed now. She's kind of made friends with Yeoman, I guess. So that's good. But yeah, I know that the still sad. The world is still ending. So I just, I just don't think they've got enough time to pull everything off to save everything. I think yeah. there will be probably some little wins along the way. They will, they will get all the answers that they want. Well, maybe not all the answers, but a lot of the answers that they've been looking for will be able to put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together. But I think ultimately we're not going to succeed in saving the world. We still have no idea how to even go about saving the world. So yeah, it's. Yeah. And we have, we have 21% of the book left. So we're at 79%. So yeah, there's, I guess that that's still a fifth of it. That's not nothing, but. No, we do tend to get a lot of information and a lot of stuff happen yeah. in very yeah. rapid succession based on the last two books, fairly close to the end. So I mean, like, it could still swing. I think that there's still a lot of information for us to learn. And, I mean, these chapters in themselves, we learnt a lot of new information that we just hadn't either pieced together or hadn't been given before. So that could still change things, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it does feel like a lot of the storylines are going to start to wrap up now. And, you know, we're we're not only wrapping up a book, we're wrapping up a trilogy. So that's all. It's a, yeah. We're definitely at Sandalanch territory, I reckon. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. This should be interesting. I, I, we, we should not have a boring episode between now and the end. We have three episodes left after this one, so. Ooh. Not that we've had a lot of boring sections so far. I don't feel like not this book anyway. No, the pace definitely picked up since like the, the second book. Yeah. Um, I am definitely enjoying the read more. Not that the second book was bad. It was. It was just there was too much politics. I think for for me um and i think for most of us but yeah this book has sort of kept you on your toes a little bit more which i like i agree so i mentioned earlier i had sort of a theory about Gorodel, which i'll i may as well just bring up to start with so i think he's gonna get i think he's spiked or he's gonna be spiked oh no and so i think yeah his presence is gonna cause problems he's gonna he's gonna go find vin and yeah Things, things are going to go downhill. I think the message that Spook is trying to give is about the earring, but I don't know. Like, who knows what, go, what like, the voices in his head told him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think Garadel will run into Vin at the pits because I think that's where she's going to go next. So bear with me. I've got a bit of a lengthy one here. Oh. So I think that Tensoon's prophecy is, is that she will lead the Alamances to the homeland. I think that's going to happen. I think that the last little dot on the map that Brandon said Vin couldn't read, that's going to come up with Yeoman and his maps that Vin have been looking at. They're going to look at that dot and just realize, that's the Pits of Hats in. Why is that place so important? So I think they're, so Vin's going to head back there uh, and, you know, Tenstone's prophecy comes true. I believe that that is where Ruin's body is. Um, oh, Okay. I think that's where it's being hid, in among all the metals, so that Ruin couldn't find it. I I don't know if, like, the body is at him, like Joe has said. The thought has crossed my mind. Or it might just be a human body, or... Whatever. I think that's where the body is. And I think the Kandra are guarding it 
with all the adium they've taken from contracts over the years or alternatively stolen from the pits next door, like Joe said. So I believe, like, yeah, there's, like, some little Kandra cult down there who are spending the adium to... or using the adium in some way to hide, keep Ruin's body hidden from him. So, yeah, and I don't know, maybe the body's presence is, like, something about its power or whatever, or just, like, the ambient energy it gives off. That's what also causes the adium geos to grow in the pits, maybe? I don't know. And... Yeah, so when when she does come back with an army of Alamances to save everyone, humans, Kolos, Kandra, that will be the final battle with uh, Ruin to prevent him from getting his body back and getting his true power or getting control or whatever. So I think that'll that's going to be the climax of the book, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, that was... So I had two theories about Ruin's body. That's the big one, and the one I think is accurate. The other little one that I thought of was that Ruin only ever seems to show up as other people. Like, he appears to Vin as Reen, he appeared to both Quellian and Spook as Kelsia. Even after it twigs to Vin, like, what that it is actually Ruin, he keeps appearing as Reen. And I'm wondering if that's because he can't remember what he actually looked like, what his original body was. Oh. And, <laughs> and so, uh, and, that, and that sort of made me think, well, it's possible that his body might not be in the in the pits it's actually somewhere else in plain sight and ruin himself might accidentally destroy it without realizing what he's done oh that's hilarious I like, like that. i thought that that could be cool i i don't think i think the other one with it being in the pits is probably more accurate but i thought it would be it would be kind of funny if it turned out oh no actually you're like you just you just destroyed your own body and he's like no and then he dies nice i like that yeah. actually that's fun yeah so that, that's what i got okay He's at Dak Dak's pulling out some more of the uh, the the, the swinging for the fences ones because we, we we learned that those are the ones that get you end up being right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I said I said ages ago I need to swing for the fences more often and that I didn't really do that. So listeners, bringing back the fences, bringing back the volcanoes. <laughs> also, body like while I was, volcano. So. Yeah, while I was putting all that together, I, like I just had the weird thought. It's like, huh, kind of funny that the terrorist people have settled at the pits. Which is right next door to the Kandra, considering that the Kandra used to be Terrasman. Right? Just uh, it's a like, weird coincidence. Because, like, Say- Say just walks in and just goes, uh, you people used to be Terrasman. This is your homeland, therefore it is also mine now. I live here now. <laughs> yep. Your stuff is my stuff. Uh, I want that. That That's a cool chair. Give me. <laughs> okay. Let's hit on. We have two emails and two reviews that we're in touch on. Let's do the emails first, I guess. So, we got one from Sasha. And Sasha has – I was reading ahead a bit to see what you guys, where you guys might be in real time. And I guess you're right up about to the Conjure creation story. Yep, good good call. Now that everyone's caught up about – or about to be caught up as to where spiky creatures come from 101, I'd be interested to hear which origin, hemallergic origin, do you think is the most horrible? So the Conjure mystery story seems to be the least awful of the lot until you think about it. Roshek turned every living ferrochemist into nearly mindless eating carrion blob monsters. He told his best buds, hey, I'm going to blobify you too. No hard feelings. You're just too dangerous. But if you're willing to work with me, I'll come back in a few with some murder spikes and turn you into sapient carrion eating blob monsters. And they said, she says, the awfulness of where the colossus come from. We've covered that. No need to say more. The Inquisitors, they obviously at least didn't all volunteer. But every Inquisitor until March was presumably a devout follower of the Lord Ruler and would have considered it an honor 
they sort of wanted that maybe. So more than the guy being turned into a coloss anyway. So look in ranking the unremitting horrors of hemallergic creation. Dubcon transformation is about as quote unquote good as you're going to get. So she wants to know where you rank these three, which ones are from most horrible to least horrible transformation. Uh, I'm going to go Coloss is the worst inquisitor next. And then, uh, and then Condra is the least bad. Okay. Yeah. I probably would have put inquisitor first. Cause I think they're fairly conscious of what's happening, which would just be mm. really traumatic. Yeah. Coloss. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if they were, they were humans and like, they just know that they're dying or something like that. Maybe that's, I don't know. Would that be less mentally taxing or something? I'm not. I'm not really sure. And then Kandra, the least too. But I guess it depends on how how conscious they were and how much they knew of what was actually happening. You know, if you were to become a blob monster, you were told you were becoming a blob monster, and all of a sudden you're a blob and you didn't know anymore. I feel like mm. it's probably less traumatic. But they're all they're all pretty horrifying in their own way. I mean, like, yeah, they're all horrifying. Like, do do we need to rank? Like, which is worse? Seems like they're all bad. Yeah. I don't want to be any of these things, really. No. Yeah, I think I rank it that way because it seems like, and I'm not saying this is good from the outside perspective, it seems like the Coloss are the ones that long for what they were the most. Mm. The Inquisitors, yeah. The, the, yeah. the stuff that Ruin does inside them changes their like desires and wants and needs. And whereas, like, yeah, like we said, like with the mist rates, the first generation are the only ones that really remember what they were before. Yeah. So the majority of Chandra that were born from them don't know, or if they know, they, I mean, I really don't think they would know, although Tensun seems to know. So I guess maybe it is common knowledge. Mm. Um, but it seems like they are very kind of happy to do their contract duty that the Lord Ruler set down, so they feel like they actually have a place in the society. So I don't know. I think that's why I find it probably the least horrifying, because I'm trying to think of it from each individual's perspectives. It's like, if I'm evil, and my desires have now changed to evil desires from an outside force, I don't know that I'm going to be... I think we're seeing an unbelievably unprecedented thing in Marsh, where he is, like, aware of what is going on, and he's mm. upset by it. I don't feel like... Of course, we don't get inside the other Inquisitor's heads, but I feel like he's probably got a stronger will than the other ones, and maybe that's why he's so kind of disgusted with himself, but then at the same time, you you hear from his perspective, March felt happy, or he, he knew it was beautiful, or he loved it, or whatever. So even it's even changing him. So I think that's why I ranked it that way. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm I'm more with Dak where I'm just like they're all bad. I don't I don't want do not want. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean bad is bad. I don't want to be any of them except you know if I could be a, a blob monster that's not a blob. If I could be normal but then like shapeshift, that would be sweet. I mean yeah, they could be normal most of the time as long as they have bones if they feel like it. I guess presumably they make pretty believable humans since uh, they yeah. can pass for them really well. I don't remember if this is in the manga, but in the original Full Metal Alchemist anime it's like one of the homunculuses or one of the seven deadly sins envy it's like envy doesn't remember what they originally looked like mm. because they've been shape-shifting for so long 
it's like that would, that would kind of suck yeah it's like I, I don't remember what i originally looked like I, so the, he just like the he just picked a form for walking around in because they couldn't remember what he looked like hmm brutal yeah uh okay our, our other email let me get that is from dean and dean says hey guys i wanted to say how much i enjoy listening to your weekly podcast you're all hilarious witty and have many thought-provoking conversations regarding characters and plot. I love it. I've decided to write you after listening to your latest episode, because I believe I was the one on Reddit who acknowledged the length of the podcast if you plan to read only two chapters a week. And this would have been back around episode three, where we were reading two chapters an episode. That's true. That's how we started, was two chapters at a time. Oh, the old days. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had never been a podcast person, as I always felt like it was an odd way of consuming media, but I came across the Reddit post of a new Mistborn podcast while I was reading it, which is pretty impressive since I burned through the trilogy in a week. And I thought, huh, you know what? Maybe I'll give it a try. Since then, I've been listening to many other Cosmere and the like podcasts, and I only have you guys to thank for that. So we turned Dean on to podcasts. Good on you. I hope you're enjoying them. Wow. I listen. I don't I don't commit to a lot of them. There's a few podcasts that I have to really like them to want to listen every week, basically. So not yep. that many make the cut for me. I feel the same way. I think I have like six one six of them that I solidly listen to, and the other ones I don't don't really give much time to. Dean says things are a bit harrowing in Israel right now, without getting political. So it's nice to have an hour and a half of your joking around this week to take my mind off of current events. Shalom and keep up the good work. So thanks, Dean. Uh, yeah, I, I, things are things are not at the best ever in Israel right now. So uh, stay safe and. Thank you guys for your emails, Sasha, Dean. If anyone else wants to send us emails, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. We also have two new reviews this week on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. Um, we'll hit those real quick. The first one is from Tom Jim 4 Sanderson Cosmere Weekly Virtual Book Club, five stars. A fantastic weekly series where a group of friends methodically go through Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series with plans to contribute continue through the various book series in the Cosmere in bite-sized chunks. Only one of the hosts, Data, has read the series previously, so this podcast can serve any listener, whether they are longtime fans or first-time readers who want to give the series a try. Data does a fine job of moderating the discussion and stoking the flames of speculation on theorizing from his co-hosts, all while dropping occasional Easter eggs or trivia about the greater Cosmere without straying into spoilers. A fantastic listen and a great start to my Monday mornings. Thanks, Tom Jim. Hey, that was a great review. Uh, sir, you see right through us. You're a seer. Ooh, Adium Ooh. Misting, because we established the existence of Adium Mistings this time. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Who would you yeah. call it? Gold Misting. Gold Misting. Uh, there is wait, an official name for that. Hold on, yeah. yes. I think we talked about this. I think we did, but I don't know if we came to a conclusion. A Gold Misting is known as an auger. Ooh. That's a nice one. Yeah. Okay. Scott, I think we did talk about that. We talked about the potential existence of gold mistings and what it would be called. And now that there's that. We know that there are idea mistings. We know that it's not restricted to just the eight mistings. So it would be pretty obvious that there would be gold mistings, which is why I w went ahead and told the. Even though we haven't yet seen yeah. one yet to confirm that they exist. Plus, then you assume there's also got to be mistings for electrum and whatever the other one is aluminum and duralumin. Mm. Although although both of those would be very boring yep. to be mistings for. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah. aluminum, I don't have any alumanic metals in me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how would you even figure that out? 
right? I mean, I, I guess it? you could still burn it, so you'd know that. But yeah, yeah. no, that would wasn't suck. with the burn. <laughs> you, yeah, when Duralman was would be burned, you just like burn it real quick, and then you'd be like, I guess, oh, yeah, that was it. I can enhance nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, oh man, I got my something come out of my fingertips. I think my nails grew a little bit. <laughs> zero, zero, zero times a million is still zero. Yep. That, 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 that is essentially what that is. Yes. It's like multiplying by zero. Okay. Other, other review. Another five stars. This one is from Ranksk. R-A-N-G-S-K. Ranksk. Quickly became my favorite podcast. The premise of this podcast is amazing, but it's the execution that keeps me coming back for more. This format is equally great, both for the big Sanderson fans who want to relive their first read through, as well as people who are new to the Cosmere and want to get into it. And that's that one. I should point out that the previous one said lots of nice things about me personally. So, uh, <laughs> so we know he was, that was lying. The best one. That's good. Good. <laughs> no, we know. He hey, man. It. Ranks. Yeah, yeah, totally Ranks. Since we've been talking about it, buddy, you're an auger. Go for it. Ooh, nice. So I feel like that would not be a fun misting to be. I mean, it's better than like aluminum or no. aluminum, but it's not fun. No. I didn't say it was fun. I said that's what he is. He's in the misting <laughs> crew. That's that's what matters. That's okay. right. It's like didn't I think Yarman said at one point it's like bronze, the most useless of alimantic metals. Oh boy. Yeah, you yeah, no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> so, okay. For next time, we are reading six chapters. Jesus Christ. And actually, for the next two episodes in a row, we will be doing six chapters, which give, uh, so just fun, fun facts, six, six. And then for the final episode, four episodes or four chapters and an epilogue. So that is how close we are to the end, people. Wow. Uh, so those six chapters, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71 and 72. So if you're following along, those are the six chapters to read. And we will be talking about those next time. Music by Miracle of Sound. And wasing to the time of next, everyone. As the tiles of steel and stone crumble to dust, the foundations of our hope begin to rust. Choking fear, screaming sound, as a reaper comes to ground, you turn to face it down because you must.